San Francisco Mayor London Breed is finally trying to go down the right path when it comes to homeless drug addicts. And you know what? It could cost her her job. Uh, If Target leaves Blue Cities, who are they going to virtue signal to? Well, we're going to find out right now. And the writer's strike in Hollywood is over. Did you even notice? This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene. Welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hope you had a great day yesterday. I sure did. And one thing I wanted to talk about before we even start this thing is this whole problem with divorce, with the marriage. There's a video that went went viral online on, on TikTok, and there have been a ton of videos for the last month or so about the evils of marriage. And it's evil because women have to marry men. Well, there's another TikTok video. It's gone viral. And essentially, I, I would love to play this video on the podcast, but it's there are no words in it. So what it is, is it's about a gal who gets a wedding ring. She puts the wedding ring on, and then she suddenly gets images about what will happen when she gets married. And it involves doing the laundry, cooking the food, making yourself look pretty, having kids, sitting on the floor with kids. Basically, all of the misery of marriage or all of the misery that that women see or women who have never been married see when it comes to marriage. And I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I, I've touched on it a little bit in past podcasts. I think I, I mentioned it two weeks ago. And I've been watching it, and more videos are coming out left and right, and now celebrities are getting involved in it, saying, oh, marriage sucks, divorce is the way to go. I, it's, it's just a lot of weird crap. Now, let me explain something to you. It, are there such things as bad marriages? Well, yes. I, I was in a 20-year marriage. It was a bad marriage. It was a bad marriage for... Basically, the entire 20 years, I married this woman for the wrong reasons. She married me for the wrong reasons. We ended up getting a divorce. The divorce was horrid. Uh, There was lots of fighting, the kids, money. I lived maybe six, seven years completely broke. Like I had to get rid of my dogs because I couldn't feed them. It was really that bad. There There were weeks I couldn't eat. Uh, I even had to borrow money from Josie. Josie, my wife, my current wife, would give me money for food or bring food to me so I could eat. I started abusing alcohol, which is why I don't drink anymore. There's lots of things that could happen through a marriage. And these were the most miserable parts of life. But can I tell you something? Here's, here's the reality. Marriage was still a really nice portion of my life to the point when I was divorced. Here's the reality, and my ex-wife is beginning to see this. I would still be married to her. She, yes, I was miserable, but there's a level of commitment that I made to her. I would have still been married to her. I would have never started divorce proceedings with her. Now, granted, there were some extenuating circumstances that happened within our marriage that probably would have pushed me to a divorce. But the reality is I probably would have tried to work it out. But when I divorced, and even in the most miserable parts of my life, 
the worst parts, and you can ask my dad this because he counseled me through my divorce. The one thing I was afraid of when I didn't have money to eat, when I didn't see my kids enough, when my, my wife, ex-wife and kids moved out of state and I thought I'd never see my kids again, when I had to move to San Diego from Los Angeles because I needed to work so that I could pay this whore off. I hate my ex-wife right now, but not, well, hate is a strong word. I don't, I don't even acknowledge her anymore. But when all, when my life was at its worst, do you know what I was thinking of? I wasn't thinking of, well, how am I going to have money to retire? How am I going to have money to pay this? How am I going to have money to survive? Where am I going to get food to eat? My big worry is, how am I going to be able to be married again? No woman is going to see me as valuable. And then I learned, well, with Josie, when we started dating, I was broke then. And she'll be the first one to tell you. And Josie helped me because Josie was in the same position because she was married. Josie's been married twice before. She married young the first time. The second time, a little PTSD from war affected her marriage. And she wanted to be married again. And we're married now. We're very happy. We're very content. Yes, we have our problems. Everyone has their problems. And and all the, the thing with these videos you see is that, I don't know, my marriages have never been like that. Where the woman is sitting on the floor with babies and the woman is cooking and the woman is cleaning and the woman is doing the laundry and all that. That's never been that way in any of my marriages in any, in any time. I've never understood. I, I said, that's the, that crap you're looking at is 1950s marriage. That's not how it is anymore. In, I would say any household is it like this. And if there is a household where the man goes out and work and the woman stays home full time and takes care of the kids, the woman is typically happy. Listen, I, I love being committed to my wife. And I love that my wife loves being committed to me. And yes, there are rough times in marriage. But marriage... When you have that commitment, when you share that responsibility, my wife shares the responsibility with my kids who are older, but I also share the responsibility with her kids who are younger. And when we actually come together and we're, we're a team, and by the way, all this crap about, oh, my best friend is my wife, that's bullshit. I, it, my best friend is not my wife. She is my closest friend. She's the person I have to trust the most. But she talks shit about me and I talk shit about her behind her back and she does behind my back and she talks crap in front of me. I talk crap in front of her. We are, I guess you could say we're best friends because we can do that and it's not a big deal. But the reality is, even in the worst times during my divorce, my biggest fear was I wasn't going to have the ability to get married because I couldn't actually help a woman. I couldn't be of value to a woman. I couldn't protect her. I couldn't support her. I couldn't do... That was my biggest panic. Marriage was never a question. I wanted to be married again. My wife, who had gone through two very bad divorces and still has to deal with her ex-husband because of the kids, which that's going away soon. The worst 
problem she had was worrying about whether she was going to meet someone and get married again. Because here's the thing. I'm going to grow old. I'm already older, but I'm going to grow old. She's going to grow old. And what are you going to have then? Because the kids are going to go away. My kids are basically gone because they're, they're living their lives. They should be gone. I don't blame them for that. Marriage is a good thing. Okay. I just needed to get that off my chest because I'm so tired. There's no link or anything. I, I just saw these, this video and I was thinking to myself, this is stupid. Okay, so let's get to dumbass of the day. Okay, that dumbass of the day. There's only one, but this is a long video clip. This happened this week, about a about a month ago, month and a half ago, we had an interview with Neil uh, Tyson, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is the astrophysicist. He's the guy that said Pluto isn't a planet, which he was, he's wrong about trans ideology and he's wrong about Pluto being a planet. So we've already talked about that. Well, he went on, he went on a podcast and this podcast was with other physicists. Okay, mathematicians and physicists. And somehow they got into the discussion of trans ideology. Now, Neil, and he was being questioned by these guys, and these were scientists. And these guys were saying, um, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. Now, that is just kind of an overview. It's This is about a five-minute clip, but I think the entire clip is worth listening to. Simply because it is such... Neil deGrasse Tyson not to be wrong. That's the physicist in him. And yet these scientists simply ask him one or two questions, one or two points, and he gets all worked up and spends a minute and a half, two minutes explaining himself. And then they just ask another, well, what about this? And the reason is because he's so wrong. And then Neil deGrasse Tyson goes down to really bad analogies to defend his position. So again, this is a little longer, but listen to it and listen to the language. And I'll also defend Neil deGrasse Tyson a little bit because I understand where he's kind of coming from now when it comes to this. And we'll, we'll talk about it. I won't talk too much about what he says here because he said this stuff before and I've talked about it before. But I do want to talk about a, a nuance of what he does say. Now that doesn't make him less of a dumbass. He's still a dumbass here. But maybe I'll give him a little bit of consideration. So let's listen to this. One of your functions over time has been to communicate scientific knowledge to the public. Yeah. My only point was that if who you decide is male and female in the street is a construct of, of, of style and trends and what the beauty industrial complex wants you to see, if that's how we establish gender, then maybe some people want to be fluid within that gender. Okay, right off the bat, Tyson completely screwed up the question. Because here's the problem. Um, it's it, What he's saying is wrong right off the bat. Gender is not a construct. You're either male or female. You can have 
feminine mass males, you can have masculine females. But gender is not a construct. And that's what these guys are pointing out. That you're scientists and you're coming up with this crap that is anti-science. And that's the answer he gives. Well, they're not going to let him go. Let's keep listening. However, what I would say is that the conversation in the public consciousness has become prominent not between people who want to defend the right of anyone to dress how they want and the people who want to prevent that. The reason the conversation has become an issue is that we assign and allow certain privileges to people based on their sex. If you are female, you get to compete only with people of your sex because females are at, at a disadvantage in physical competition to males in almost every sport. So I'm wondering whether the future of those sports is you don't contest gender with gender, you contest hormone ratios. Well, hold on a second, but, but the, difference is the differences physiologically between men and women are not just hormonal. Women have a different hip angle. They have different heart capacity. They have different lung capacity. I mean, there are profound physiological differences, different bone density. We've had okay, professional so then we athletes find, on the show so, to talk about it. I don't have a problem with that. So then you find ways to slice the population so that whatever the event is, is, is interestingly contested so for example i'll let him finish in a second but here's the big problem neil degrasse tyson is having is that he is now making a problem where there was not a problem before okay there was not a problem between men and women's sports there was not a problem until men decided to participate in women's sports and by the way there's not even a problem of women wanting to participate in men's sports Women can participate in men's sports. That's, that's been accepted already. It's been accepted since the 80s. This is not something that is new. Women have tried. There have been women who tried to play professional NBA basketball. This is something that has happened. Anne Drysdale, the wife of Don Drysdale, actually tried out for the NBA. And she, she couldn't handle it. She couldn't hang. And it's because of her physical differences. So there's no issues with women going, it's one way. And this, I got, uh, uh, dare I say it, this is a sexist, misogynist argument because you're, one side is not being affected by this. It's, it's, it, only one side is being affected by this. It's women's sports that are being affected by this. Men's sports are not being affected by this. Because of the physiological differences between men and women, a man can walk into a woman's sport and excel and participate and help. But it's not the other way around. So you sitting there, well, we need to cut this up and we need to make it more balanced. No, we don't need to do that because it's been working this way for over 100 years. Why change it now? Why change it now? So I will go a step further. The trans argument here is to make a problem. Okay, let's continue with what he says because what he says here is, is crazy too. I wrestled in my life. I was mm -hmm. captain of my high school wrestling team. It would be unfair for me at 190 pounds, which is what I was back then, to wrestle someone 120 pounds. Hold on. It would actually be unfair for you to wrestle someone who is also 190 pounds but female. But let me, let me work my way there. So. This is an argument that the left always makes. Well, you can't, you, a 190-pound guy can't find a 120-pound guy. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And guess what? A 190-pound guy can't 
fight a 120-pound guy. Those, those, those weight classes do exist. We do create the weight classes. The problem is, what he's trying to do, he's trying to conflate gender as the same as weight class. Well, gender is not the same as weight class. You're either a man or a woman. This is what those two guys are trying to tell him. You can't make that difference. There is a difference between men and women. And it is a physical, scientific, absolute difference. Okay, let's keep going. What the trans conversation is foisting upon us is the need to find ways to slice the athletic universe such that we still have interesting fair matches. And what the regular world is saying is that we already have those sliced. It's by weight class, it's by men, depending on the sport, of course, and by gender. We already have that. Why are we redoing it? Why are we retooling it? And here's the thing. I'm going to give you a little hint. Yeah, he doesn't have an answer. And by the way, the problem with these interviewers, they didn't really ask that question. But that is one of the things. We already have that. It's gender and it's weight class. And in a lot of sports, it's age too. So why are we retooling this to the point that it really does have a disadvantage to people right now, in this case, women. And is it a combination of, did you go through puberty um, uh, uh, as a male and then transition? Did you have puberty blockers? Um, what is your hormone level now uh, as you, if you want to compete? So it requires more creative thought rather than saying no to it all. Mind you, these guys already pointed out that hormone levels testosterone levels, uh, puberty blockers, all that stuff, that's only one-tenth of the problem. It's also all the other physiological issues that come with being a man. And he just ignored that whole thing and decided to jump right back into hormone levels because that's the only argument they have. That's the only thing that supposedly science can change with a man. Let's be creative about this. It's an unsolved problem, yes, but it's not unsolvable given what we know about human physiology. So why not rise to that occasion and solve it rather than take your older view of the world and force modern emergent conduct of people to fit that? Great question. Why are the trans community forcing their belief system on all of us? That's what's happening. Here's the question. I can reverse that question. First off, older opinions, older thoughts, older opinion, older, older concepts, those concepts have been concepts for millennial, millennia. And do you know why they've been concepts for millennia? Because they've been right. They've been absolutely right. And this is the problem Tyson is. He is trying to make something that has been objectively correct into something that is subjective. And that's just insane. Okay, let's finish this. I would go deeper to that problem. So but you don't there even are have women to have whose, that question. whose opportunities are being curtailed today because they are being forced to compete, whether in sports or elsewhere, against people who have some kind of advantage over We're, we're in a that... transitional period. So we have to figure that out. But the, 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 the way to figure out things that 
requires solutions to progressive change is not to regress it to how things once were. If that were the case, I would still be drinking from a segregated water fountain. Okay, the reason he's bringing up the segregated water fountain thing is he's losing this argument. He knows it. So what better thing to do than bring up race? Here's the thing with the segregated water fountain thing. Um, actually, uh, desegregating water fountains and restrooms actually fixed the problem. Because now you don't have to have two different restroom, uh, four different restrooms for two different sexes simply because of race. So instead of having a black water fountain and a white water fountain, we just have one water fountain. So that actually solved the problem. The problem with the trans ideology is that you're actually creating a problem. Well, now you're putting people who say they're women, but they're not, into women's sports and making it that men are competing against women's sports and taking away opportunities for women. You're creating a problem. And in this case, you're regressing. Because if you think way back when sports finally, when sports first came about, you've got to imagine women and men did compete together because people did not know there were physical differences between men and women. There probably was a time in human history that men and women did not know they were physically different. Well, it probably goes way further back during the hunter-gatherer period when men realized, well, we can hunt much better than women can. You are regressing by putting women, men back with women. That's regressing. You're making the women the hunters when in fact they're not physically capable of doing it as well as men are. That's a, a stupid argument. I would love to have this argument with this guy because he'd lose miserably. Okay. Oh, let's merge the water fountains and let's, let's create the opportunities from below so that we don't even need the short list, okay? That's how I would approach this. So yeah, it, we're in the middle of solving that problem now. Figure, let's figure it out together. I, I think uh, a lot of people would have an issue with what you're saying, Neil, is because they see women being denied opportunities. They see an unfair playing field, metaphorically and literally speaking. So fix the playing field, damn it! What, what, don't, don't say it's an unfair playing field, so all of a sudden the big issue is trans women taking the slot of a woman in an unfair playing field. Fix the playing field. And you know something? The day you fix that playing field, this conversation will look completely ridiculous. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Here's the problem with Tyson. He doesn't understand. Uh, the playing field wasn't broken. These people come in with their stupid ideology, which is completely objectively false. And then you guys say the playing field here is wrong. And he, there's something wrong with the playing field. There's something wrong with men and women's sports. No, there's nothing wrong with men or women's sports. What's wrong is the ideology. What's wrong is the fact that you actually think men can be women and women can be men. By the way, you don't see any trans men, women who think they're men, jumping into the NFL football or baseball or basketball. You don't see any of that. I wonder why. Because they're women, and they can't compete with men. Now, I will give Tyson one bit of credit. This is how physicists' minds think. They look at something, they try and solve a problem, and I think that's what he's actually trying to do. So they see, a, they see something in the sky, in their telescope, and they don't know what it is. They try and go all around to try and fix the problem. Here's, here's the problem with him. 
is when you look at that little blob, glowing blob in the sky, you don't initially know what that is. And then you come up with wild ideas of what it could be. It could be the porch light on an alien world for an alien species and things. Wild ideas like that come about. Here's what's wild about his argument is we already know what that blob is in the sky and you're trying to change it into something that we know is false. So I'll give him an A for effort. It's kind of like the guy who tried to make a chaotic mathematical system so that it would it would mimic our brains. Of course, he went nuts and he failed miserably because mathematics is not meant to be a chaotic system. It's meant to be an extremely ordered, exact system. He's trying to sit there and make something that we absolutely know is true into something more bizarre. So I'll give him that credit, but that's about all I'll give him because everything else he said is absolute bullshit. And that's why Neil deGrasse Tyson is our dumbass of the day. Well, I don't know if I'll get to all my stories, the stories today. So let's get let's get to it. We still have 15 minutes, so let's get to it. Um, so San Francisco is an absolute train wreck, and Mayor London Breed is beginning to figure out that it's an absolute train wreck. And because she's figuring out it's a train wreck, and because she thinks that maybe I should do something about it, because, you know, I am the mayor of San Francisco, and if it's a train wreck, it's probably partially my fault, which it is. Uh, maybe I should do something about it. Well, it could cost her a job. So let's read this. This is from Fox News. Democratic San Francisco Mayor London Breed on Tuesday unveiled a plan to require anyone receiving welfare to comply with mandatory drug testing and treatment programs amid growing pressure to get a hold of the city's homeless and fentanyl crisis. The same day, a new primary challenger in next year's election entered the race. Well, you know something really wild? Um, this idea that she came up with? Yeah, she didn't come up with that. People have been talking about this for ages. Is that you shouldn't just give people who are on drugs money. Because they're going to take that money and they're going to buy more drugs. That's called enabling the problem. This is nothing new. Announcing the proposal with Supervisor Matt Dorsey, a recovering addict and former spokesperson for the police department, Breed said that the new initiative would require individuals with substance use disorders who want access to county-funded cash assistance to be enrolled in treatment and services. By the way, Matt, uh, this Matt Dorsey being a recovering addict? Yeah, this is what recovering addicts always say. Stop giving them money. Uh, we watched this show called uh, Inter Intervention, where they inter they intercede, a group intercedes with a person who's a drug addict, and the moderator of the intervention is always a recovering drug addict. They all believe the same thing. They all say the same thing. Stop giving this person money. Stop giving this person money. Stop letting this person into the house. You're enabling this individual. Having Matt Dorsey, a recovering addict, is an excellent way to help addicts because they know exactly what the problem is. Continuing, quote, San Francisco is a city of compassion, but also a city that demands accountability, end quote, Breed said in the statement. 
quote, we fund a wide range of services and we want to help people get the care they need. But under current state law, local government lacks the tools to compel people into treatment. This is an initiative. This initiative aims to create more accountability and help get people to accept the treatment and services they need. So this is this is good. It's still not good enough, personally, and I've said this before, we need to bring back the sanitarium system. There should be three different institutions for problems like this. First off, the prisons. You break the law. For example, you're a drug dealer. You throw that individual in prison, and you do what most countries do. You throw them in for life. Okay. Other countries actually go out and execute the drug dealers. Then you have the sanitarium for the mentally ill. A lot of people who are on drugs are mentally ill and they actually need help. And then you have a sanitarium for the drug abused. So the drug user, the drug abuser. You need a system like that to take people and put them in the right institution to get the right help. Now, whenever someone says sanitarium, they think bad things. They think sanitariums of the 40s and 50s. Yes, those were bad, but you know what you do? You know what you do? You make them good. You, you, you make them so that these institutions are heavily regulated by the state before they get any dime. You make sure they're staffed by people who are competent, this can be done. There's a reason the sanitarium institution did last for a long time because it did work. It's just, yes, a couple of bad apples out there. It, it messed up the whole thing. The system needs to be brought back. We, need, we have plenty of room for it. You've got deserts. You've got plenty of desert space to build institutions. Start building them there. Okay, continuing. Quote, I strongly support Mayor Breed's initiative, which will better incentivize treatment and recovery for a population that's, a, that's at wildly disproportionate risk of drug addiction and overdose fatalities, Dorsey added. We're facing an unprecedented loss of San Francisco, and we need, we need coercive interventions that can work. Yes, absolute intervention needs to be done, and it needs to be done hardcore, it needs to be, well, if you're not, we're not enabling you anymore. So if you are, I'm sorry, if you're a drug addict, you need to go into a sanitarium. You need to be incarcerated. Now, I'm not talking jails. I'm not talking jails. This is where the war on drugs failed. The war on drugs never fixed the problem. Because putting a drug addict into a jail is not, is not good. Jails are made for punishment. You need treatment. Mental health and drug addiction don't need jails. They need treatment. And however long that treatment is, you need to put them into a sanitarium. But here's the problem. You can't change the status quo because lots of rich white people up in San Francisco think they're actually helping by enabling these drug users. Finishing the article, but the mayor faces an uphill battle to get legislation approved by more progressive Democratic counterparts on the city council as the proposal deviates from the ultra-liberal city's once prevailing view against forcing involuntary treatment for the mentally ill. Here's the big problem. 
Um, the big problem is that the city council is just a blob of people. So one city council member that votes against London Breed is not going to be known to the public. London Breed will be known to the public. And even if all 12 members of that city council say no, they're not going to blame that city council. They're going to blame London Breed. So the city council has no consequences for not doing what London Breed wants. They have no consequences. Continuing with the article, finishing it up. Meanwhile, as open-air drug markets and homelessness and rising crime bring public safety concerns to the forefront ahead of an election year, the announcement from City Hall came the same day Daniel Laurie, a longtime nonprofit executive and heir to Levi Strauss and Company Fortune, formally, formally announced a 2024 Democratic challenge to Breed. So what's going to end up happening is Breed's going to lose. She's going to lose the election. This guy is going to win. And by the way, Levi Strauss, an ultra-liberal liberal company. I almost feel bad for wearing my Levi's. Okay, but they are an ultra-liberal company. This guy is going to take over, and do you know what he's going? what's going to end up happening? He's going to fail too. He's going to perform the same policies that London Breed did and found that failed. He's going to do the same thing, and he's going to fail and then he's going, political pressure is going to mount because he failed. And then he's going to go in the same direction as London Breed. By the way, we see a lot of mayors doing this. Eric Adams in San Francisco or New York is doing the same thing. He's saying, hey, these policies aren't working. You do have blue mayors that are saying, yeah, this crap isn't working. You've got the mayor of Los Angeles that's saying the same thing. This whole sanctuary city thing ain't working. The policy's not working. We got to send them back. These blue mayors, when their when their jobs are on the line, will take the right direction because they don't have a choice. So good for London Breed. Um, yeah, it's not going to work out. But what I can also say to London Breed, now do crime. So according to the Daily Wire, Target announced plans to shut down nine stores across four different U.S. states after ongoing reports of violence, theft, and organized retail crime have threatened the safety of shoppers and employees. The company said effective October 21st, three stores in San Francisco, Oakland area, three more in Portland, two in Seattle, and one in Harlem of New York City will permanently close. What is what is the common denominator between all of those nine areas? Oh, that's right. They're all left-wing. They all support defund the police. They all have no bail. They're all crime-infested. They're all blue cities. Quote, we cannot operate these stores because of theft and organized retail crime are threatening the safety of our team and guests and contributing to an unsustainable business performance, Target said in a news release. Wow. So my question is, who's Target going to virtue signal to? Because the reality is, this is one of the most virtue signaling companies out there. And they have to move themselves, remove themselves from all the blue cities that actually will listen to their virtue signaling. Hmm. Are they going to be able to pull this crap in Dallas? whose mayor just went from blue to red? Are they going to be able to pull this crap in Tennessee, Florida, other states and cities in Texas? How about Arizona, Nevada? Yeah, no, they're not going to be able to pull that crap. 
But here's the whole problem. Again, we've talked about this. I've said this is done on purpose. They want these companies out because they want to do what Chicago's doing and create city-funded business. They want to create communism. Now, Target is saying, F you. They're walking out because, hey, by the way, how much is Target losing? Target has lost almost a billion dollars in in lost revenue because of, of theft. A billion dollars. The whole industry in these cities is in the hundreds of billions of dollars in loss. These companies can't make it. They're not going to tolerate. They'll just move out. And of course, the left, you know what they'll do in all these places? They'll blame capitalism. They'll blame Republicans. They'll call Target ultra MAGA. They'll blame everything else except their stupid policies. And Target, Target deserves this. Target has always pushed this left-wing narrative crap. I mean, they're the ones that had tucking, uh, tucking bathing suits during Pride Month displayed up front. They deserve this because this is what left-wing policies get you. And I don't feel sorry for Target at all. I wish they would have stayed open and kept doing it. And the fact of the matter is the left always eats its own. It left always eats its own. The left will blame Target for this. Oh, it's Target's fault for leaving. They're a right-wing MAGA company. And capitalism sucks. We should bring socialism and communism. Yeah, Target's got uh, shareholders they need to appease to. They need to make a profit. That's just the way it works. So, chow-chow to you guys. My only problem is they should have uh, they should have dealt with this a long time ago. Okay, so here we go. This is this is big news. The writer's strike might be over. You probably are wondering what the hell I'm talking about. Well, apparently Hollywood writers went on strike because they were complaining about their pay. They were complaining about AI taking over their jobs. And you didn't notice because you were watching reruns on television. And the reruns are probably a lot better than any of the new shows they're coming out with. So they were uh, they were actually on strike for almost six months, and no one realized it. Well, finally, they came up with an agreement. So according to the Daily Wire, the three-year agreement addresses the main, main areas of concern for the union, including increased compensation, guaranteed length of employment, mandated writer's room staff minimums, and protections against the use of AI, artificial intelligence. Now, I'm not sure how... Here's the problem with the writer's union. Um, There are a lot of writers that don't belong to the writer's union, and they don't want to join. So, the problem, I, I think this is a very weak union, and I think you could tell it's a real... There was no support for it. So a lot of the writers, like I'm a writer, I have a book published, I'm about to publish another book. The reality is I'd never join a union. I I don't want to belong to the union, I'll I'll sell my stuff for whatever it takes. Well, considering no one is watching what these writers are writing, this is really an issue for them. And this is why the strike went as long as it did. So they wanted more money and they wanted to get rid of artificial intelligence. This was a big thing for them. 
Yeah. As our artificial intelligence develops, guess what? Artificial intelligence will take over their jobs. That's going to happen. It's just not there yet. Continuing, the contract won't be officially accepted until it's ratified by union members following a vote period from October 2nd to October 9th. If certain portions aren't passed, the strike could resume. Now, this is a big issue because here's what they're getting. And they're not getting a lot here. Specifically, the contract guarantees 5% raises the first year, 4% raises the second year, and 3.5 in the third. Health fund contributions increased by 12% uh, to 12% of the company's reportable earnings per CNN. And writers working on the same script will no longer need to split pension and health contributions. That actually all might be argued. They may say, no, that's not good enough. Now, don't forget, a lot of these writers, they have a lot of money. And they can withstand a strike. And they may want more money. Uh, They may want more transparency. And that's a big thing with companies that say we're making certain amounts. So our pension should have more money into it. This There's a lot of holes here. So the writers may not accept this, especially if they make a lot of money. Uh, Here we go. Continuing, the outlet noted that for big streaming projects, including, and this is a kind of a surprise because streaming projects are usually the ones that don't go anywhere, including feature-length productions with a budget of at least $30 million, writer compensation will increase to 18% to $100,000 minimum. Writers will also receive an increased percentage of residual pay for streaming projects they've worked on and companies agreed to be more transparent about their viewership numbers. Now, this is something that I'm really wondering about. What does that mean? We'll be more transparent. Are you going to be more Joe Biden transparent, or are you going to be actually transparent? Because the media companies do have a tendency to lie about their profits, and they'll be more motivated to lie about their profits because they're pro- or be more creative on how they present them. And this could be a sticking point, which means this strike may not be over. We'll have to, and a lot of media outlets are very careful to say that this strike is over. That a lot of media outlets are not saying this strike is over. So this one we'll have to watch. This could be the big sticking point. And the other sticking point has this one line, as for AI, artificial intelligence, concerns... The document states that AI can't write or rewrite literary material. Um, okay. What if you're a non-union shop? And what happens when the AI material ends up better than the union shops? Now, do I use AI when I write? Yes, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. I don't, it isn't part of my main writing, but I do use it. And I do use, I pay for it. I use it to get the idea and then I will mold the idea. I don't actually use it to write my book. My books are my writing. But the ideas sometimes need to be clarified. And I need that spark. I do that with my, I do that with my short story writing too. I actually have a book that gives me prompts on what to write about. And then I write a short story based off those prompts. I use artificial intelligence as a prompt. Now, the question I have is, um, is that part of it? Can I use AI as a prompt? 
And if I do, is am I violating the union contract? This is where things are going to get interesting. Because AI does have a lot of value for writing. Now, I'm not saying it writes scripts. It shouldn't. It can't. It's terrible. But the reality is, if I have a, a story, um, it will give me a prompt. I can even ask AI, give me a prompt for a short story, fantasy, dystopian fantasy, and it'll give me a prompt. Can I do that with this under this contract? Again, it's all based on the language. It depends on what the language is in the contract and whether the people are going to, whether the writers are going to accept that language, which is why a lot of the media, they're not really talking too much about this because they're not really sure the writers are going to accept this contract. We'll have to see. Okay, I can't believe it. I actually finished on time. So, hey, uh, something to remember, I have a bunch of new videos released on Rumble. Please go over there, take a look. Look at them. Type in dumbasses talking politics in the search bar. Please subscribe and like or hit that rumble button. I hope you guys have a great day. God bless. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics.